Hey everyone, before I get into this week's show, I just wanted to remind you that the full stats for every fighter on the card, as well as subscriptions for full stats for every fight every week, are available at gumroad.com slash numbersmma. These stat packages include the stats from every UFC fight for every fighter on the card. So this week, even if you want to go back as far as, say, Joe Lozon's debut against Jen Pulver at UFC 63, that's there. Stats from every UFC fight for everyone on the card, as well as career stats laid out so you can compare the matchups as well. You can find both the single event stats for UFC 74 and the subscription package, which is a significant discount over the uh, single event, uh, both available, again, at gumroad.com slash numbersmma, or you can find the link in my pinned tweet. Thanks so much, and here's this week's episode. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA by the Numbers podcast, where we're taking a numbers-driven look into the world of mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Jason Shandle, and this episode is UFC 274 by the Numbers. I'm going to break down the stats behind the fights, I'm going to pick winners, I'm going to talk about my favorite bets, and and really just go through all the numbers I can on this card. Being a big pay-per-view card, we don't have too many debuting fighters or or fighters with low sample sizes in the octagons. There are a ton of fights to go through this week where we've got uh, kind of half an hour plus samples on, on both sides, and... Really a ton this week where we've also got three or four hour samples and we're actually going to want to probably whittle those ones down more on that later. But lots of fights to get through. So I'm going to dig right into it. Um, First few on the card, I don't have any really hot takes on, um, but I am going to go through some of the numbers just to kind of highlight and, uh, you know, see if anybody has anything that they find interesting and want to pull out of here that'll help with their bets. So first fight I'm looking at is Francisco Trinaldo against Danny Roberts. Trinaldo's one of those guys, he's been in the UFC forever, he's almost at five hours of octagon time at this point, and if we just look at the last five years, which I think is fair given uh, A, how the game has changed, B, um, how fighters age and change as they age, especially Trinaldo, not exactly young, uh, and hasn't been young for a while now, Um, but looking at the last five years gives us a nine-fight sample for Trinaldo, and something that's interesting is we don't actually see his distance-striking stats change all that much compared to his career averages. So for his career, he's showing a 38% accuracy rate and 65% defense rate from distance. And over the last five years, that goes down to a 35% accuracy rate and 63% defense rate from distance. So yes, there's a drop off on both there, uh, but I think small enough that, you know, probably wouldn't chalk it up too, too much to age or or anything, um, any significant change in his fighting style. But uh, that being said, still just not great numbers in a vacuum. That has him landing at 35% while his opponents are landing at 38%. You never like to see someone be less accurate than their opponents. You also don't like to see someone being less accurate while also getting outpaced. Trinaldo averaging just 0.85 distance strike attempts for every one his opponents throw. He's continued to be an efficient wrestler. He's got a 53% takedown accuracy rate in that 9-fight sample. But his control rate, compared to his 18.9% UFC career average, is down to just 13%. So even though he's getting fights to the ground, he's not controlling them, and that's definitely a concern. And I mean, Danny Roberts is a guy who has struggled with his defensive wrestling. He's uh, got just a 56% takedown defense rate in the octagon, a 28% opponent control rate, and when facing 5-plus takedown attempts, that opponent control rate does jump to 34%. Trinaldo is not a volume wrestler, though. He averages just 2.3 takedown attempts per 15 minutes. And with that low control number recently from Trinaldo, I don't think it paints a particularly clear picture um, kind of of how his grappling is going to stack up against Roberts here. Uh, Roberts' distance striking numbers also don't really stand out as anything overly noteworthy with 34% accuracy and 62% defense. He does tend to outpace his opponents. Uh, averages 10.5 distance strike attempts per minute, faces 9.4. So again, it's a close margin there. 
And really, like I said, just nothing that gives me a really strong opinion on this fight one way or the other. I mean, if you really press me to pick a winner, I'd probably slightly lean towards Danny Roberts. Um, that just from purely from striking volume standpoint, um, Trinaldo's 0.85 to 1 distance strike attempt ratio worries me. But uh, I certainly don't feel good enough about that pick to be in on Danny Roberts uh, at his current line of minus 105. So I won't be betting this fight. Um, but I guess I pick Roberts to win if, if you'd force me to pick a winner, but ultimately I think it's pretty close to a coin flip. Next fight that I'm planning to kind of skip through a little quickly here is Blagojevanov against Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Uh, this one's tough to predict statistically for very different reasons than the last fight. Uh, de Lima is someone I I just wouldn't read much into his stats at all, really, in general. Um, he is the he is one of two fighters in UFC history with at least 10 bouts in the octagon to average less than five minutes per fight. It's Marcos Rogerio de Lima, who's done it over 13 fights, and James Irvin, who did it over 10 fights. That makes his stats uniquely hard to trust. When we're looking at someone outland their opponent like 14 to 1 in significant strikes in a first round finish victory, that tells us literally nothing about how those stats would have played out over a more uh, lengthy sample, over 15 minutes, or even over 5 minutes, right? You're just not going to see Marcos Rogerio de Lima outland his opponents 14 to 1 over long stretches of time. But he's got a lot of short fights where he's done basically that because in in 60 or 90 seconds, it's easier to put up anomalies. And and the the kind of law of large numbers doesn't really work here. We can't take, uh, we can't amass a bunch of skewed samples to give us a big enough single sample size. Like 10 one-minute fights aren't going to play out the same way statistically as one 10-minute fight. So Delima's a guy who's got over an hour of octagon time, but really doesn't give us much to uh, to dig into statistically here. If you're looking for a quick rundown of the numbers, I mean, Ivanov has 38% accuracy and 58% defense from distance, compared to 47% accuracy and 69% defense for Delima. Uh, Ivanov also gets outpaced, averages 9 distance strike attempts per minute, faces 9.9. Delima, again, take this with a massive grain of salt, outpaces his opponents 13.0 to 8.2 per minute. Uh, Looking at the grappling numbers, which is where Delima has had his struggles is is getting taken down early and submitted uh but Ivanov despite his 55% takedown accuracy rate I, I mean an 8.4% control rate not really the kind of grappler who's likely to uh you know score a quick takedown and end the fight though we do see Delima with a 54% takedown defense rate like I said a little concerning there but ultimately just not reliable samples here to use um and to dig in and try to kind of handicap the matchup from from the stats and then one more fight to go through quickly with with no real takes on it is, is Brandon Royval against Matt Schnell. Uh, Royval's style, I mean, he's got over half an hour of octagon time. He's pushing 45 minutes. But his style of, you know, he's still got a pretty small sample size. And then a grappler who's kind of dangerous off their back and, and who doesn't really stop takedowns. That's a style that's really hard to quantify with stats, right? You see Royval's 39% takedown defense rate and 46.7% opponent control rate. And it looks terrible, but obviously um, with his strong grappling, like that's not nearly as bad as it looks. And in the small sample of his stand-up, he's got a 2.2% knockdown rate. His opponents have a 1.5% rate. Those aren't sustainable marks at flyweight. There's nothing in, in Royval's statistical profile here that we can really um, draw sweeping, broad, forward-looking conclusions. Um, but if we want to get into Matt Schnell's numbers a little bit, they're also just kind of really standard, I would say. 37% accuracy and 65% defense from distance, so very slightly more accurate than his opponents, but not by much. Outpaces them, but it's 11.98 to 10.62 per minute, so kind of barely outpacing them. 
Uh, doesn't really grapple much, 1.17 takedown attempts per 15 minutes. Uh, the one number that I think really jumps out, just given the stylistic matchup here, is that Schnell's got a 50% takedown defense rate, though he does combine that with just an 11.9% opponent control rate. So take that, you know, for what it's worth there. You know, if I had to pick a winner in this one, it's Roy Val. He's a big favorite for a reason. Um, like I said, the weakest stat that really jumps out off, off for Schnell is that takedown defense, and this isn't the matchup to have poor takedown defense in, um, but not enough here to make me confident in, in betting either side. Now we slide over to the featherweight division for matchup between Macy Chasson and Norma Dumont. Chasson's got a pretty interesting um, significant strike profile. She's got great overall significant strike numbers, but so much of that comes from the clinch and on the ground. Her distance striking numbers are actually pretty terrible. She's got 32% accuracy to go with 53% defense. That means her opponents are landing at 43%, 11% more accurately than she is. So even though she's the one that's pushed the pace in her fights with a very aggressive 13.3 distance strike attempts per minute uh, while facing just 9.3, she does get outlanded very slightly. Dumont, on the other hand, she hasn't faced uh, many real killers on the feet, but she's put up some really, really strong distance striking numbers with 46% accuracy and 73% defense. She combines that with slightly outpacing her opponents to outland them 4.77 distance strikes per minute while absorbing just 2.54. So that's 2.23 per minute more than her opponent lands. The interesting wrinkle, though, here becomes if, she, if Chasson can get in on the clinch, she doesn't have a great offensive wrestling game as far as takedowns go, just a 24% takedown accuracy rate, but despite landing just 1.08 takedowns per 15 minutes, Chasson has spent 41.3% of her fight time holding control positions. And she's obviously very active while holding those control positions. I mean, 44% of the significant strike attempts she's thrown in the octagon have come uh, either as clinch or ground strikes. That is among, uh, if we look at the 930 fighters in UFC history who've got at least 10 bouts in the octagon, her rate of, of 44%, that ranks 65th. So one of the higher rates you're ever really going to see over uh, over an extended sample. Um, and, and that becomes kind of interesting. But when we look at Norma Dumont, she's not been taken down in the octagon. She's got 100% takedown defense. But that, that doesn't tell the whole story. Like I said, Chasson doesn't necessarily need to get fights to the ground to be controlling them. She can do it in the clinch. And Dumont does have an 18.6% opponent control rate allowed. And her last fight was against another aggressive kind of clinch uh, ground striker in Aspen Ladd, who's thrown 35% of her career significant strikes um, in grappling positions. And while Dumont did win that fight, it is worth noting that she gave up seven and a half minutes of control time despite stuffing all five of Ladd's takedown attempts. Ultimately, though, I think A, Ladd is a better, a more skilled fighter than Macy Chasson, uh, and B, you know, Dumont won that fight uh, in a very clear decision. I think it was 49-46 on, on most of the judges' scorecards. So having the potential to maybe grind things out for long enough on the cage isn't exactly an exciting um, proposition here as, as a path to victory for Chasson. So with that in mind, I, I like Dumont to win this fight, and I also think that at minus 220, there's still a little bit, bit of betting value available on Dumont here. Next up, we've got a welterweight bout between Randy Brown and Chaos Williams. Williams is still a relatively small sample guy. I mean, he's been into the third round three times now, but still doesn't even quite have 45 minutes of octagon time to his name. Um, so can't read too, too deeply into his stats, especially when, um, you know, it's a five-fight sample, but basically it all comes from just three opponents. But what we see is some very poor efficiency from distance, a 36% accuracy and just a 52% defense rate. Obviously, he's throwing with a ton of power helps to explain that low accuracy, but you never like to see that low defense um, 
when it's paired with such a low accuracy rate, even from a power striker. Uh, although at the same time, he averages 13.4 distance strike attempts per minute. Like he's throwing a ton and his opponents largely because of the power are afraid to fire back as much. They're attempting only 7.1 distance strike attempts per minute. So even though he is uh, way less efficient than his opponents, he's still landing 1.3 distance strikes per minute more than he's absorbing. Brown's not an especially efficient distance striker either with 41% accuracy and 56% defense. But again, his pace helps him uh, outland his opponents. He outlands his opponents by a full distance strike per minute. uh, And that comes on 13.88 attempts and 10.82 faced. He's also quietly a really efficient wrestler with a 44% takedown accuracy rate, though that's coming on just 1.96 attempts per 15 minutes, and a 22.8% control rate. That hasn't been pronounced as much lately uh, while he's been up against a higher level of competition, but over his first six UFC fights, he had nearly a 30% control rate. And we haven't really seen Williams' defensive wrestling tested. I mean, he was taken down twice on two attempts, but didn't really give up any control time to Michelle Pereira. Uh, And then he stuffed two takedown attempts against Miguel Baeza, but Baeza is a guy who averages uh, less than half a takedown landed per 15 minutes, so it's not like that's necessarily telling of strong takedown defense. So... We've got a fight with a couple of aggressive strikers, a clear power edge for Williams, but potential wrestling edge in kind of a sneaky way for Randy Brown. I think that leaves us with a super close matchup here, but I lean slightly towards Brown. I think if I'm kind of guessing as to what's going to get, you know, a little bit overvalued versus what would get undervalued, I'd expect the power of Williams to get overvalued and the wrestling of Brown to get undervalued. So in a fight that's basically a coin flip, I I slightly lean Randy Brown to win. Uh, That does also mean that I think there's some interesting betting value here uh, on Brown at minus 103 at the moment on five dimes. Next fight, we're definitely not struggling with small sample sizes. We have Donald Cerrone taking on Joe Lozon. The two of them combined for over nine hours of octagon time. Both have been in the UFC forever, so I'll go a little bit over their overall stats, but I'm also going to narrow things down a little bit to their more recent stats. So starting with Cerrone, he's never been a hyper-efficient striker, or, or really I think had the striking numbers to kind of back up some of the hype he gets other than his knockdowns. Uh, does hold the UFC record with 20 knockdowns, but obviously that comes in part because of how many fights he's had. Uh, Looking at his efficiency numbers, specifically from distance, he's got 45% accuracy and 54% defense. So over his career, he's actually been a little bit less accurate than his opponents, and he's also been slightly outpaced by his opponents, averaging 11.1 attempts and facing 11.4. So he lands 4.95 distance strikes per minute, but absorbs 5.24, getting outlanded by 0.29 per minute. Over the last five years, which still gives us a pretty big 13-fight sample size, that's been a lot worse for Cerrone. His accuracy rate has fallen to 41.3%, and his defense rate has plummeted to 44.5%. I don't usually worry too, too much about defense rate, but that's like that's a really unusually low number. It's not often you're going to see anyone remotely that low in defense, especially without an accuracy rate up at like 50%. And when we're looking at a fighter who's older and potentially slowing down, less speed, slower reaction times, that's something that becomes especially concerning and, and is probably a, 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 an indicative sign of, of some, some real areas of concern. I'm also not really sure Joe Lozon's the guy to take advantage of that, though. I mean, even if we look at his whole UFC career, so like we include his prime, Joe Lozon... I mean, his striking numbers are straight up abysmal. 28% accuracy with 59% defense. 
So that's landing 13% less accurately than his opponents while also getting outpaced by a pretty absurd margin. I mean, he faces 16 and a half distance strike attempts per minute. His opponents are just not afraid of, of what's coming back at them. They just throw with reckless abandon. While Lozon tries to keep pace, I guess, at nine and a half attempts per minute, but but certainly gets uh, out, outpaced by a huge margin. And I mean, he gets outlanded. I'm almost three to one. He gets it landed 6.74 to 2.65 in distance strikes per minute. We can't narrow things as well with Lozon to the last five years because that does just give us a three fight sample, which doesn't tell us a whole lot um, about where his game is at right now. But considering those career long numbers are, are going to include his prime, like you'd, you'd expect, if anything, his career long numbers to be better than uh, than his recent numbers. So definitely obvious room for concern there from distance. So then we get to whether or not Joe Lozon can get this fight to the ground. And he does have a 45% takedown accuracy rate over his UFC career. And obviously his submission game is his strong point. But Donald Cerrone, for for his struggles recently, I mean, his takedown defense has been as good as ever. Uh, he's allowed just one takedown on 17 attempts over the last five years. That's a 94% defense rate, right in line with his 90% career takedown defense rate. So I do think there's a legitimate shot that Lozon gets one of those rare Joe Lozon standing uh, finishes, you know, whether he knocks him clean out or just hurts him on the feet. Um, Cerrone's defensive striking, uh, enough of a concern that I think Lozon by knockout or TKO at plus 600 is kind of an interesting dart throw, but really this fight is most likely to come down to whether Lozon can get Cerrone to the ground, which I just don't think he can, at least not reliably. So I like Cerrone to win this one, and I even think there's a little bit of value, um, if you can still get Cerrone at minus 165, I think there's some value there. Next we jump up to light heavyweight with Ovince St. Prue taking on Mauricio Shogun Hua. Again, huge sample sizes here. Uh, I don't think we quite hit the nine-hour mark like we did in the last fight, but we're certainly well over eight. I think we're at like eight hours and 50 minutes between the two of them. And with this fight, they will both move up above a tie with John Jones, and, and these two will share the record for most fights in UFC light heavyweight history. So all that being said, this is another one where we're going to want to kind of narrow things into the last five years where we can. Uh, but I'll also give, again, some kind of career context here. So looking at their overall numbers in distance striking, Shogun has the 6% edge in accuracy and a 10% edge in defense uh, over their entire UFC careers. That's 46% accuracy and 60% defense for Shogun, compared to St. Prue's accuracy at 40% and his defense rate at 50%. Over the last five years, though, we see a similar effect with Shogun as we saw with Cerrone. His accuracy rate drops to 42%, and his defense rate plummets to 49%. He's also been getting outpaced a ton, averaging only about three quarters as many uh, distance strike attempts as he faces, and getting outlanded by a huge margin as well. He lands just 0.61 distance strikes for every one he's absorbed over the last five years, and that has not come against very good competition either. Things aren't much better for St. Prue, though. His numbers are very similar to Shogun's. 0.74 to 1 uh, distance strike attempt ratio, 0.62 to 1 landed strike ratio, so basically identical there, and 43% accuracy right around Shogun, 1% edge, but that's not much, uh, and defense at 52%, so again, right around where Shogun's numbers are. So there aren't any super strong leans in the striking in this one, but something that really stands out is Shogun, I mean, he's never had good takedown defense in the UFC. He's got just a 45% takedown defense rate over his UFC career. Um, if we include pride fights, I mean, it doesn't get much better at 47%. Like, this is a guy who's never had a good takedown defense rate. And, you know, we've we've seen it 
come through recently as well. He was taken down four times on eight attempts by Paul Craig in his last fight. And for as good as Craig's submission game is and, and grappling game is when he's on the ground, he's only got a 26% career takedown accuracy rate. So this is not a strong uh, offensive wrestler when it comes to takedowns. And Shogun was taken down four times on eight attempts in, in less than two rounds. I mean, that is not a good sign. And St. Prue's never been a high-volume wrestler, but he does average over three takedown attempts per 15 minutes. So that's that's over one takedown attempt per round on average. And he's got a 31% takedown accuracy rate, so he does also have the grappling kind of leaning in his favor in this fight. St. Prue also a couple of years younger than Shogun, um, and in terms of fight years, probably more than just a couple of years younger than him. Uh, so that's something that we wanted to keep in consideration here as well. So I like St. Prue to win this fight, uh, but if we're looking at the betting odds, uh, I don't really see a ton of value here. I mean, I like St. Prue. I don't minus 235 love him. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't think there's much value on Shogun on the other side either. I think this fight is priced pretty fairly. Next up, we're in the lightweight division for another matchup where we don't have a great sample to draw from, one that I think I'd be remiss not to talk about, and that's Michael Chandler against Tony Ferguson. There are a couple of things that make this fight a tricky one to break down statistically. Uh, one is that Ferguson is someone whose recent career has looked nothing like his prime, so his overall numbers don't really reflect what's going on recently, but it's also tricky because his recent fights have come against some very good competition. And then we've got Michael Chandler, who's only got 22, just shy of 23 minutes of octagon time, and that's not come in kind of typical-looking fights either. Ferguson, obviously, with a reputation for aggression throughout his UFC career, and that, that's been well-deserved with 14.5 distance strike attempts per minute, but Chandler, in his small sample, has actually outdone that at 16.5 attempts per minute. They also both have outpaced their opponents by a big clip, 11.5 attempts per minute from Ferguson's opponents, 12.1 from Chandler's opponents. We see a massive gap in efficiency, though, where Chandler has 43% accuracy, which is right in line with Ferguson's 44, but Chandler has just 39% distance striking defense so far, compared to 60% for Ferguson. Now, just given the timing of his fights, the bulk of that is just stats against Justin Gaethje for, for Chandler, and Gaethje is one of the more accurate distance strikers in UFC history. We'll get into that more later. Gaethje's got a 58% distance striking accuracy rate for his career, and part of that is because of a high leg kick rate. So Chandler's defense, not nearly as concerning as, as those numbers may make it out to be. And if we look at Ferguson's current losing streak, the distance striking on that streak is basically all from the Justin Gaethje fight because he spent so much of the other two fights being controlled. Over just those last two fights, Ferguson has allowed 23 minutes and 54 seconds of control time. In his first 17 UFC fights, that's every fight before those last two, he allowed 24 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, obviously, there's something to be said for spending almost 25 minutes combined grappling with Benel Dariush and, and um, Charles Oliveira without getting submitted. You know, you never want to say that getting controlled is a good thing, but it's certainly a sign that his submission defense is still on point. And not necessarily an indicator that Chandler, who hasn't done much with his offensive wrestling so far, again, an admittedly small sample in the UFC, not necessarily a sign that he's going to be the guy to be able to take advantage of that, but, but certainly kind of worth noting for, for Ferguson here. The other thing worth noting is that for as bad as Chandler's defense was against Gaethje, Ferguson had just a 27% distance striking defense rate in that fight. If we look at every fight in UFC history that has seen someone attempt at least 100 distance strikes, Gaethje's performance against Ferguson has the second highest accuracy rate of all time. Only Sean O'Malley against Chris Moutinho beat that. And now obviously a lot of that are like those late rounds where Ferguson was exhausted and hurt. You know, Gaethje landed 34 of 39 in round five, for example. 
you know, that's not necessarily indicative of Ferguson's overall skills because he was kind of half conscious at that point. So again, another spot where you can't read too deeply into the stats for this fight. It, it's annoying because it's such a big matchup, such a high profile one, but really nothing I feel good about reading it statistically into too far here. Um, I mean, if I have to pick a winner in the fight, I think it's pretty easily Michael Chandler. Um, I'm a lot lower on him, I think, than than most people are. I just don't think he's proved as much in the UFC as he's kind of generally been getting credit for. But at this point, it's really hard to trust Ferguson. Even if I think that maybe getting controlled by Dariush and Oliveira may have people overlooking him a little bit and, and how bad he looked in, say, round five against Gaethje, you know, maybe covering up a little bit of the fact that while he wasn't winning by any stretch, like he wasn't looking awful in round one. Um, so I think Ferguson probably still a little more there than people give him credit for. But I really like Chandler to win this fight, obviously. And I mean, because of those those factors I kind of just outlined, if I had to pick a betting value, you know, I, I don't even think I'd suggest it, but I think I might throw a dart on Ferguson. He's plus 330 right now. Um, I might throw a long shot dart. You know, I probably wouldn't advise that and wouldn't suggest it and say that that's a play that you should follow me on but just just in the uh in the spirit of transparency uh, I do see myself playing small on Ferguson here just um trying to kind of capture the fact that maybe he hasn't been quite as bad as he's getting written off as and and Chandler maybe not quite as impressive as he's getting credit for so far in their UFC careers but uh certainly like Chandler to win the fight and don't necessarily think that's a sharp bet just one that I'm making on a hunch and now we move up, to, or down, I suppose, and wait to the co-main event with uh, Rosnama Yunus trying to defend her title against Carla Esparza. This is, of course, a rematch of their first matchup, which was the UFC debut for both of them. Uh, Esparza dominated that fight with her wrestling five takedowns on seven attempts, five minutes of control time, uh, 31 significant strikes uh, between the clinch and on the ground, and, and ultimately a submission win. Uh, careers, of course, have gone in different directions since then. Uh, Nama Yunus now the favorite, the champion, uh, and has won five of her last six all-in-title fights. If we look at Rose's stats, though, they're not nearly as good as kind of her career success might might suggest. Um, 37% distance striking accuracy and 64% defense, so not bad numbers, especially when you consider that she is spending a lot of time fighting top competition, but outlanding her opponents by just 1% accuracy, uh, certainly nothing to write home about, especially when she's getting very slightly outpaced, faces 12.3 distance strike attempts per minute, gets off just 12.2 of her own. So she outlands her opponents, but just by 0.12 distance strikes per minute. She's an efficient grappler herself with a 56% takedown accuracy rate and 23.4% control rate, but it is worth noting that the vast majority of that came against Paige Van Zant, uh, which was, you know, for some reason a five-round fight, which meant Rose got the opportunity to land eight takedowns on 10 attempts and score 16 minutes, 41 seconds of control time. That single fight accounted for 66.7% uh, of Nama Yunus's takedowns landed in the octagon and 47% of her control time. So good offensive numbers over her career, but basically that means good offensive numbers against Paige Van Zandt. The area where we see room for concern is defensive grappling, where Nama Yunus has a 52% takedown defense rate. As I said, that was kind of the key to Esparza's win in their first fight, but that's also not the only time Nama Yunus has shown that hole. And I mean, yes, she's improved a lot since she fought Carla Esparza the first time. But we saw in her last fight, I mean, she was taken down five times on 11 attempts by Zhang Weili. And it's not like Weili outgrappled her or anything, but it's also not like Weili is Carla Esparza when it comes to wrestling. Giving up those five takedowns on 11 attempts and giving up over three and a half minutes of control time against a striker, a little bit concerning. 
In fact, we've seen Namajunas face three-plus takedown attempts uh, now four times in her UFC career, and she's only 2-2 two and two in those fights, with both of the wins coming as split decisions. She's been outlanded by an average of 25 total strikes per fight in that sample, compared to just 8.3 per fight in her in her other eight UFC fights, where she's 7-1. and one. On the other side of things, Asparza really poor efficiency when it comes to striking, um, 32% accuracy with 64% defense. But what I will say is when we see that 64% defense rate and we see that she's only averaging seven and a half distance strike attempts per minute facing 8.6, she knows her limitation is she's not getting in there and trying to trade. She's staying on the outside. She's trying to avoid striking until she can grapple where she averages nine and a half takedown attempts per 15 minutes with a 37% accuracy rate. When we see takedown volume get up that high, 37% is really strong accuracy because that's someone who's chaining together attempts, who's relentlessly going for takedowns, whose opponents know exactly when a takedown's coming. It's not like you're landing a couple surprise takedowns and, and you know getting some higher efficiency for it. That is a pure brute force approach. And she's t- turned that into a 32.8% control rate. We know Esparza is obviously not going to hang with Rose on the feet here. I mean, she was outlanded 15-4 to by Marina Rodriguez in that fight. Uh, she just she doesn't outland good strikers, and, and she never will, frankly. But it becomes about how well she can use her wrestling in this fight and how well she can kind of survive the striking to get in on her wrestling. Rose, definitely one of the most dangerous strikers in the division, and that makes us tricky for Esparza because especially the way we've seen judging recently, I think there's a little bit less of an emphasis on kind of empty control um, it, and if she's getting, if she's eating a bunch of hard shots and then spending three minutes of controlling, not managing to do much, that might not win her rounds. And obviously, um, the potential that she get there, there's a finish. I mean, Nama Yunus could finish with Swoma strikes very realistically. So uh, definitely some room for concern for Asparza. And I like Nama Yunus to win this fight, but I don't necessarily think I've seen enough from Nama Yunus to prove that she's closed up the holes from the first Asparza fight to, to be confident in betting her here. I, I like Asparza at plus 175. It's not that I'd pick Asparza straight up to win, but Nama Yunus, I think, it gets a lot of love and, and a lot of credit for being maybe more decisively great than she has been. Um, her close fights seem to get overlooked a little bit and forgiven a little bit, um, maybe because of how popular she is or because of how uh, dominant her early knockout wins are. But but really, in, in those dominant wins and even in, in some of the split decisions especially, I mean, she hasn't shown, I think, the the specific improvements in these areas that, that Esparza can take the fight to her and can potentially steal an upset with. So uh, until we see that out of Nama Yunus, I, I think... This is an interesting spot for some betting value on, on the underdog in Esparza at plus 175. And now the main event, lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. Gaethje comes into this one averaging the seventh most significant strikes landed per minute in UFC history. Uh, to qualify for that leaderboard, you need five plus fights, and it's landing 7.5 per minute. But at the same time, if we sort the leaderboard by most absorbed per minute, he's got the third most at 7.81. So despite that absurd striking pace, he actually gets outlanded by his opponents. And we're not talking a small sample here anymore either. Gaethje's up to nine UFC fights. And if we look overall at distance strikes, so not including, say, some of the significant strikes could be landed on him while grappling, Gaethje's still getting outlanded. He lands 7.01 per minute while absorbing 7.67. And he also even gets outpaced by his opponents by a pretty big clip. He faces 17.9 distance strike attempts per minute while attempting just 12.1 of his own. He has the highest distance striking accuracy rate in UFC history, though, for anyone with 1,000-plus attempts at 58%, 
But we do have to take into account something I mentioned pretty often, and that's that leg kicks are about twice as accurate as a typical distance strike. And Gaethje has a very high leg kick rate. If we remove leg kicks, we actually see his accuracy rate drop down to 49%. That's still really good, and it still pairs with a 60% defense rate with leg kicks removed, so he's still far more accurate than his opponent's 9% edge there, even if we're removing leg kicks, like I said. But getting outpaced and and getting outlanded is is not great. And for Oliveira, if we look at his UFC career, he gets outlanded slightly from distance, absorbing 5.1 per minute while landing 4.8. But if we just narrow this down to since his return to lightweight, which is now a pretty good sample, he is outlanding his opponents 1.1 to 1 from distance, and he's doing that with 51% accuracy and 58% defense. So not an elite defense rate by any stretch, but when you pair that with that accuracy rate, really impressive. So we look at, you know, Gaethje's wheelhouse in this fight, which is his striking, and Oliveira's numbers have become really good there. I do think Oliveira probably a little bit overrated as a striker at this point. But he's got some really strong numbers, and, and Gaethje, while his numbers are strong in their own way, there are plenty of red flags even among his striking numbers. And then, of course, we get into the grappling. I mean, Oliveira, no secret that he has the UFC submission record with 15. And I mean, for some context, other than Oliveira, who has 18 finishes in the octagon, nobody else has more than 16 finishes. And Oliveira has 15 submissions. I mean, he's almost, he's one submission away from tying the UFC finish record with only submissions. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. And you don't get that many submissions without being able to get fights to the ground. And Oliveira's got a 41% takedown accuracy rate. But as we saw against Poirier, he also doesn't need to be landing a ton of takedowns to be controlling fight in the clinch and, and to be dangerous with the submission game there. So when we see Gaethje... You know, his defensive grappling has held up other than the Khabib fight. He stuffed all five of Poirier's takedown attempts. He held Chandler to one of six, only gave up three seconds of control time. Outside of the Khabib fight, he's got an 81.3% takedown defense rate. A, there's no guarantee that's going to hold up against Oliveira. And if it does, that's not to say that Oliveira is not going to be able to get position in the clinch to be able to threaten submissions on him. This is a fight that coming into it, you know, considering his pace, considering his accuracy, um, for Gaethje, and, and considering that I think Oliveira's striking probably a little bit overhyped at this point, um, I expected to like Gaethje in this one, but the more I dug into the numbers and contextualized around the leg kicks and looked at fights where we've got Oliveira's control stats without scoring a takedown, uh, the more I started to lean towards Oliveira. I, I like him to win this fight, and uh, the line is starting to move further and further, um, starting to get a little bit less appealing odds, but Oliver is still available minus 165 some places, and in that minus 165, minus 175 range, I do think there's some betting value there, so I like Oliver to win this fight, and, and I think he's the better bet as well. And that does it for this week's show. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, as I mentioned at the top, uh, if you're looking for all the stats for these fights, including some of the fights that I didn't get into, or just kind of full fight-by-fight stats for everyone on the card, full career stats, every number I've got, basically. Um, you can check out gumroad.com slash numbersmma, where you can find the UFC 274 analytics package, uh, or you can subscribe for a, a pretty steep discount to get the stats for every card every week. Thank you all so much for listening. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the fights this week.